For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father, and he will be my son. Again, when he brings his firstborn into the world, he says, And let all God's angels worship him. And about the angels, he says, He makes his angels winds and his servants a fiery flame. But to the Son, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. This is why God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy beyond your companions. And, in the beginning, Lord, you established the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like clothing. You will roll them up like a cloak, and they will be changed like clothing. But you are the same, and your years will never end. Now, to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to those who serve those who are going to inherit salvation? Well, I hope you have uh, kept your Bibles open to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 5 through 14, as we've just heard it read for us. Look forward to spending this time in study of God's Word with you this morning. It's interesting to see, as we look at our culture, the kind of fascination that our society has uh, with angels. Uh, consider where and how these uh, beings appear. They, they often uh, show up as chubby, childlike, uh, winged creatures, sometimes as, as goofy and bumbling old men who are uh, helping baseball teams to win championships, like in the movie Angels in the Outfield. Sometimes they show up like handsome men who, who are just trying to, to find the right girl, to experience love the way that humans do, like we see in movies like City of Angels and the, the, the John Travolta movie, Michael. Now, we often hear of people talking about guardian angels who are looking out for them and, and, and watching over them. Sometimes when people are living risky lifestyles or whatever, we, we speak about them uh, causing their guardian angels to work overtime. There are statues of angels on lawns and pendants hanging from rearview mirrors. Greeting cards, movies, cartoons alike uh, tend to kind of deify and, and, and even make a, a picture of angels that is not necessarily consistent with what we see about them in Scripture. All of these images, all of these representations of angels in society, by and large, lack a real and biblical understanding uh, of what angels are really like. You know, when we see angels appear in the course of Scripture, they do not show up like chubby little childlike winged creatures. They show up as terrifying creatures. They are those who serve the very throne of God and who reflect the glory of being in the presence of God to those that they appear to in a frightening way. What angels exist to do is not to help baseball teams win championships. They don't exist to find true love with human women. What angels exist to do in the course of Scripture, and as the author of Hebrews shows us, is to serve the eternal Son of God. That is their place in the cosmos. That is their, their role in all of the universe to play, to serve the eternal Son of God. 
And it is the eternal Son of God who in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 5 through 14, the author of Hebrews shows us that, that the Son of God is in every way greater than the angels who are created by him to serve him. The main idea I want for us to grab today is this, that the Son who speaks the Son of God who reveals everything that is true about the Father to us. The Son who speaks is greater than angels that serve Him. And as we come face to face with this truth from Scripture today, I would hope that we would come to understand the role uh, and, and uh, attitude, the, the work of angels in the universe, that we would come to understand it rightly and that we would set the Son of God in the place of spiritual priority in our hearts and in our minds today. There are at least three things that the author of Hebrews shows us, teaches us about angels, about the existence of angels, the nature of angels, the role of angels in these verses, and particularly how they relate to Jesus, who is greater than the angels. First of all, we see in verses 5 and 6 that angels worship the Son of God. In the several verses that we're looking at this morning, Hebrews 1, 5 through 14, we're going to find the author of Hebrews interpreting no less than seven different Old Testament passages to be about the supremacy of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, over angelic beings. And what we're meant to understand by the author's use of so many psalms and other scriptures in these verses is precisely what the risen Lord Jesus was teaching his disciples after his resurrection. Go on your mind backward a few weeks to when we were, uh, the, the Sunday after Easter, as we were looking at Luke chapter 24 and the risen Lord Jesus and his interaction with the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Where in Luke 24 verse 44, Jesus says to his disciples that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Everything in the Old Testament that speaks about Christ, that is pointing to him, must be fulfilled in his death and death for sins and resurrection from the dead. Jesus was teaching his disciples that the Old Testament scriptures are about him and that they are for the church. And so again today, as the author of Hebrews introduces us to so many different Old Testament passages, we are meant to understand that Old Testament scriptures are Christian scripture. The Word of God in the Old Testament is for the church even today. And they are ultimately to be understood in light of Christ, in light of Jesus, the supreme Son of God, and through the lens of His atoning death for sins and His resurrection from the grave. So what we have in these verses before us today, and really what the author of Hebrews will continue to do throughout this book, is no less than the Holy Spirit's Christ-centered interpretation of the very words that the Holy Spirit himself inspired Old Testament saints to write. What I mean by that is this. The, Old, uh, the, the Holy Spirit inspired Old Testament prophets and writers, Moses and others, uh, David, to write those Old Testament scriptures. And many, even most of those scriptures are preparing us, getting us ready for or introducing us to the person and the character of the Messiah, who Jesus would be, the, the, the person that the eternal Son of God would show up as. And now here in Hebrews, the Holy Spirit is inspiring the author of Hebrews to understand with Christ-centered clarity how the Old Testament points to Jesus. If you want a lesson and how to read the Old Testament through the lens of Christ. Work through the book of Hebrews to see how the author of Hebrews does just that. 
So here in verses 5 and 6, as we see that angels exist to worship the Son of God, our author shows us here in Hebrews that the Son of God is the only one who can rightly be called the Son of God. He cites in verse 5, Psalm chapter 2, verse 7, and later in that same verse, Psalm 89, verses 26 and 27. Both of these, in the context of the Psalms, are what are known as royal kingship Psalms, or just royal Psalms, which exult in the closeness that the King of Israel has with God. But even at that, even though there's a sense of closeness between David or Solomon and God, there is only one who can rightly be called the Son of God, and that is the second person of the Trinity who takes on flesh in the man, Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews says, cites Psalm 2 in the first part of verse 5, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Who, is there that could, who, who else is there in all of the earth that could lay claim to that title as son of God? Again, I will be to him a father, he shall be to me a son. There is no one else in all the universe that can lay claim to that name as the son, begotten son of God. As these two psalms cited here in Hebrews show us, Jesus is the only begotten of the Father. He is the only being inside or outside all creation that is made of the same stuff as the Father. Though the quotation from Psalm 89, I'll be to him a father, he shall be to me a son, is a psalm that comes from the, that speaks to the covenant that God made with David to cause one of David's descendants to reign upon the throne over his people forever. It is really only Jesus who can rightly fit this description and fulfill this purpose. Only Jesus can sit on the throne of David and rule forever. In the year 325 A.D., Uh, This is almost 1,700 years ago or so. There was a debate raging in the church uh, throughout the world, uh, among Christian communities around the world. And, And it was a debate about the nature and person of Jesus. Was Jesus really God? Was he fully God? Was he truly God? Was he really fully, truly human? Or, or was he some uh, strange mixture of the two? Was he only partly God? Was he only partly human? And in order to address this question, bishops, uh, overseers of the church from all over the Roman world came together in the city of Nicaea to formulate a clear and biblical confession of who Jesus was, and, and, and not just who he was, but what he was. Was he merely human? Was he only God appearing to be human? What was he? And what they decided on from Scripture and the way that they, they formulated this for all Christians to understand from that moment forward, that, that the, the consistent testimony of Scripture to the, the full divinity and full humanity of Jesus uh, was this statement. We can read it in the Nicene Creed, where they say that we believe in the one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten of the Father, the only begotten, that is, of the essence of the Father, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, consubstantial, subsisting at the same time as the Father. Dear friends, not even the angels, those spiritual angelic beings, in all of their terrifying and glorious existence, not a one of them can lay claim to the throne of God or to the title of Son of God like Jesus does. 
Therefore, even the most awe-inspiring angel in all of the angelic host of all of the universe bows his knee in worship to the Son of God in his all-surpassing glory and power. Angels worship the Son of God. And since angels worship the Son of God, friends, we must not worship angels. There is only one in all the universe, inside or outside of all the universe, that is worthy of worship and praise. And that is the one true God who reveals himself to humanity through his word and in the incarnate word, the Son of God who takes on flesh in the man Jesus. There is only one who is worthy of our worship, and it is the Lord, not angels. And you might say, oh, I don't, I don't worship angels. I don't have a problem with that. That's not an issue that I face, but... But maybe your house is full of images of angels. Perhaps there are many statues in your lawns. Perhaps there are pendants from your rearview mirror that you might need to take down. You may say you do not worship angels, but consider whether what you say is true about uh, uh, maybe the appearance of your life around you. We must not give angels credit for doing anything in the, in the world that uh, only the, the, the Bible gives credit to Christ for doing. Our attention, our affections... Our focus in life must be upon Jesus Christ. As glorious in appearance and terrifying and powerful as they may be, angels are not worthy of your worship. Because angels worship one who is greater than them, so we, friends, must worship the one that they worship, the Son of God. Secondly, we learn from this passage that angels not only worship the Son of God, but angels serve the eternal King, who is Jesus Verses 7 through 12 flesh this out for us. This composes a second argument about the supremacy of the Son of God over angels in this passage. Our brother, the writer of Hebrews here, cites three different psalms that contrast the nature of the angels to the nature of the Son. First of all, in verse 7, we have a citation from Psalm chapter 104, verse 4. There we read, Let all, uh, 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 Of the angels, God says, He makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. This passage, this citation from Psalm 104, speaks to the relatively transient existence of angels. To be sure, angels are immortal beings. They live forever, but they are not eternal. They they, They have a beginning. They are created. But they are also purely spiritual beings. The fact that angels are here likened to winds or flames of fire, of flashes of lightning, indicates that they come and go in mysterious ways. And this is certainly consistent with how we see angels appearing in different places in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, showing up suddenly, declaring a, a message or a, a word from God, assisting some Old Testament saint or disciple in peril, and then just as quickly as they appeared, they disappear like a flash of lightning, like a sudden gust of wind. They are there and then they are gone. They are transient. But as we see in verses 8 through 10, this is not so with the Son. The Son of God is not transient. He is permanent. He is powerful. He is authoritative. He is eternal in his existence. Verses 8 and 9 cite for us Psalm 45, verses 6 and 7. Where there we read, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. 
These verses teach us that as the Son that as the Son of God, Jesus the Christ, who holds the right to the name Lord, it is Jesus who sits on the eternal throne of God, who is anointed by God as an everlasting king. It is his kingdom that lasts forever, not one of angels, not one ruled or governed by angelic beings, but only the kingdom of the Son. Then we have verses 10 through 12, which cite for us Psalm 102, verses 25 to 27. We read, And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years have no end. The author of Hebrews uses this psalm to remind us again that the same Son of God is the one who was not merely present at creation, but the very agent of creation. It was the Son of God who spoke the universe into existence. And compared to his unchanging, eternal nature, all creation, angels included, are like a robe. They're like a garment that he could fold up and put away and roll out again simply by his powerful word. The author of Hebrews is saying, dear friends, nothing less than this, that Jesus Christ is God. Jesus is eternal. The Son of God is all-powerful. He is creating and He is sustaining. Angels exist as created spiritual beings, ministers to the Son, who appear and disappear like wind and flashes of lightning. They are immortal, yes, but they are not eternal like the Son is. And they exist as ministers, as servants to the Son of God who rules the universe in power. So then, since angels heed the authority of the eternal King, we too must listen to His authoritative word. It would be tempting if visited by an angel who gave us a word from heaven, to to give that supernatural experience more weight in our hearts and in our minds and in our soul than the word of God that we have printed for us in the pages of Scripture. But dear friend, we would be wrong to do so. The word that we have before us, the, the Bible, these 66 books, that God has spoken to his people, bear all the authority of God. And they point to, these written words point to, on every page and in every book, the incarnate word, the word of God made flesh, Jesus the Christ, the eternal Son of God. If angels heed the word of the Lord, how much more then, dear friends, ought we to do the very same? If angels heed his authority, then we too must listen to his authoritative word. We must not look to angelic beings to tell us how to live our lives. Angelic beings do not declare to us the, uh, and have not secured for us the hope of the gospel. Angelic beings did not die on the cross for our sins. Only Jesus did. And only in this word points to him alone as supreme. You know, the apostle Paul writes to the Colossians as they were struggling with the truth of the gospel and, uh, and, and were combating and debating in their own minds uh, uh, the, what they had been taught by Paul and others over against what, what some false teachers were teaching. Paul says to them, if any other person says to you, 
or preaches to you a gospel other than the one that I have preached to you, let him be accursed. He says, even if an angel from heaven should preach to you a different gospel, let him be accursed. Why? Because the word of God in the person of Jesus Christ and the scriptures that we have before us are more authoritative even than the word of angels. Angels serve the eternal king, and we too must listen to his authoritative word. Third, the author of Hebrews teaches us that angels are sent by the Son to serve the elect. Angelic beings are sent by the Son of God to serve the elect. This comes to us in the last two verses of this passage, which read, And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? You see, because Christ is the eternal king and the creator of the universe, he has also been given all authority to rule over all creation. It's his, even putting every enemy against his will into submission to him. Here in verse 13, we have cited again for us the most commonly cited psalm in all of the New Testament, Psalm 110. It's cited 22 times in the course of the New Testament, five times in Hebrews alone. And this psalm in every place is used by the authors of the New Testament, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to be a psalm about uh, the supreme rule of the divine King, Jesus, who is the Christ, who is the Messiah. And because Jesus is supreme, he holds authority over even the angels to direct them however he wills, however he desires. As verse 14 demonstrates to us, it is the will of Jesus who is greater than the angels to direct angelic beings to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation, to serve those who will be saved by faith in Christ, to serve those that the Bible calls the elect of God. This means for us at least three different things. First of all, angels do not act upon their own will. Angels do not act on their own will. They are in every way subservient and submissive to the Son of God and to His direction. Angels are not divine. They are supernatural, yes. They are spiritual, yes. But they are not divine. They are not God. And they receive all their direction from the will of the Son. They do not act upon their own initiative. Second, angels do not serve our wishes. So they don't serve their own will, and they don't serve our wishes. They don't serve our will. Understand this, we are not to call upon angels to come to our aid, nor are we to seek help from them directly. We are not to pray to angels to help us in time of need, to provide for challenging circumstances in our life. We are not divine, the same as angels are not divine. We do not command them, they serve only the Son. Angels do not act on their own will, dear friend, and angels do not serve our wishes. They do not act upon our will. However, these verses teach us that angels are sent by the Son of God for the sake of the elect. Angels are sent by Jesus, by the Son, for the sake of those who will be saved through faith in Him. Angels come often to the aid of Old Testament saints to speak a word from God for human instruction or for their direction. In other places of Scripture, they appear to serve God's people by saving their lives from danger. Consider Daniel in the lion's den, who himself says the mouths of the lions were closed by an angel of the Lord. 
Sometimes angelic beings will show up to convey blessing from God upon them, like Samson's mother, who was without a son for many, many years and prayed to the Lord and received a word from the Lord through an angel that she would have a son. Or Mary and Joseph, the earthly parents of Jesus, the son, who were visited Mary face to face from the angel Gabriel, told that she would bear the son of God conceived in her through the Holy Spirit. Or uh, the angel that uh, appeared to Joseph in a dream, telling him not to be afraid uh, that, that his, Mary, that, that his uh, fiance Mary was pregnant, nor to divorce her, but to have confidence that what God was doing in Mary's life and in their marriage together was for God's glory and even for Joseph's good. In the New Testament, angels do the same thing, appearing to the disciples of Jesus after he ascends to heaven to direct them to go back to Jerusalem to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit as Christ had ordered them to do. They appear also to deliver Peter, James, and John from prison after preaching the gospel in Acts chapter 5. Angels appear to those who are not yet Christians in the book of Acts. For instance, in Acts chapter 10, where this Gentile God-fearing man named Cornelius receives, receives a vision in which he speaks with an angel who tells him uh, to seek out a man named Peter so that he can hear the gospel from him. Though angels may convey messages from God to his people in Scripture, it is the incarnate Word of God, Jesus the Eternal Son, to whom we listen and in whom we believe for salvation. Though angels show up to help, to serve for the sake of the elect, for those who will be saved by faith in God's promises, it is not angels that we look to for salvation, but the one who commands them to serve for our sake, to look to Christ in every one of these situations in Scripture where angels appear and give aid to the people of God, we are to understand that they are working and serving those who have been saved by faith in the promise of God or those who will soon be saved by, the promise of faith, uh, by faith in the promise of God. They are servants of the gospel. They are not agents of the gospel. They are not salvation-procuring beings, but merely those who point to the Son who does those things. They are servants of the gospel at the will of the eternal Son, Jesus the Christ, for the good of those who by faith in Jesus will be saved. And so, church, since angels serve the Son for the sake of the saved, you too must seek your salvation from the Son who commands even the angels. You may be watching this today, dear friend, you're not a follower of Jesus. You may believe in God. You may believe that the Bible is somewhat true or, or that there are at least supernatural beings out there uh, in, in the world, uh, in the heavenly places, in the spiritual realm. You may be uncertain, though, whether you should seek salvation, seek help, seek a relationship with God through them or through something else. And I'm telling you today, dear friend, there is hope for salvation in one person only, and that is the eternal Son of God, Jesus the Christ, God's promised Messiah and Savior, who gave His divine and human life on the cross for your sins and was raised from the dead. Do not seek help from angels, seek help from the Son. Do not seek provision for salvation from the angels. Seek it through Jesus who died for your sins and was raised again. Do not be tempted to be distracted when it comes to your walk with Christ, dear Christian, by, by fascination with angels and angelic beings, but rather turn and place your focus, your hope in this life and the next, 
not in angelic beings, but in Jesus Christ the Son, who is greater even than they. And if in seeking your needs, provision for difficult situations and hard times, you go to the Son of God to say, help me, Jesus. If in His will He determines to send an angel to minister to you in that moment, know again that it is He who has sent the angel to you. It is He who commands them, and it is He who deserves your obedience, your faith, your love, your worship. Since even the angels serve the Son for the sake of the saved, seek your salvation from the Son who commands even these. Dear friend, if you've not given your life and faith to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, you can do so today. You can have assurance of your right relationship with God, not through, not through angelic beings and not through praying to angels or seeking their help, but through the very person of God, the Son, Jesus the Christ, who lived a sinless life in your place and in mine, who died on the cross bearing all the penalty for the sin that you have, have earned, have garnered for yourself. He bore it for you on the cross. He died there paying the penalty for your sin and three days later was raised in glory and victory so that you, by trusting in him as Lord and Savior, making him king of your life, seeking to live in obedience to him and turning from your sinful selfishness in which you have lived your whole life up to this point, you can be saved today. You can have a assurance of your right relationship with God today through trusting Jesus, the Son of God, who is greater even than the angels. Dear friend, I want you to think through several things this morning in light of what we have learned about angels and the Son of God today. I'd like you to ask yourself the following questions and and sincerely reflect upon them this week. You'll see them posted at the end of the sermon on your screen. First of all, how does Hebrews, how how does the author of Hebrews' exaltation of Jesus over the angels, how does it shape or change your understanding of angelic beings? What do you need to change in your in your own mind, uh, in your own interaction, and, and, and the things that you believe about angels and the Son of God? You may need to repent of some things or change what you have thought before. I'd like you to reflect this week on how Jesus, in what ways Jesus is superior to angels. It's the one who's created them. It's the one who gives them commands. What is his relationship to them? And how does, that, how does that change? How does that shape your relationship to Jesus? Then third, we need to think about how we need to realign our view of Christ and our understanding of angels in light of this passage. We may need to do some theological shifting or realignment as we come to understand what ra- angels really are, what they do, and, and how Jesus the Son is superior even today. I'd like you to consider how this passage might help you to graciously correct false assumptions about angels that your non-Christians may have, or even that Christian brothers and sisters may have. It is a good thing, it is a right thing to shape our understanding of who Christ is by the Word of God. And we can do that with grace as we point those who are confused to clear passages of Scripture like Hebrews 1, 5 through 14, to help clear up misunderstandings about angels, to point people's focus and, and their worship toward Jesus alone. Jesus is greater even than the angels. They worship him. They serve him. They go out at his command to serve for the sake of those who will be saved by faith in his name. He is greater even than they. He is worthy of our worship. Let's pray together. 
Lord Jesus, we confess that you, creator of the cosmos, creator of the angels, commander of those supernatural beings who serve your will and for the sake of those who will trust you by faith in you, and we worship you for your supremacy and superiority over all things. Jesus, you are truly magnificent. We exalt you in our hearts and minds. We, we even now, as we pray to you, we lift you up to the rightful place that you have of authority and rule and reign in our lives. Jesus, be Lord in our hearts today. Be King in our hearts today. May you be number one. May you be supreme. And according to your will, if you should seek to minister to us through angelic visitation, remind us that it is you that they serve. It is for your glory and for our good that they work according to your will. Lord Jesus, keep our eyes fixed upon you. Holy Spirit, help us to do this. Let us not be distracted or fascinated by things that, that are not worthy of our worship or our attention like this. Jesus, we thank you, eternal Son of God, for taking on flesh to give your sinless life for ours and be raised from the dead that we might be right with God. You are supreme. You are Lord. We confess and pray all this in your holy, matchless name. Amen.